Welcome, and welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. It's the podcast that translates Donald Trump as if he needs translation. Do you notice, Claude, he's moving out of New York? I did not see yeah, that. Yeah, his, his state of residence will now be uh, Florida. Okay. Right. I mean, it kind of makes sense, mm-hmm. you know. No, ta- no state taxes, which right. can make a difference for a guy like that. He's got a place there. Somewhat more congenial environment for him uh-huh. uh, when he announced that the governor of uh, New York State kind of ratified it was a good decision for the president because he his first <laughs> sentence, Governor Cuomo, was good riddance. It's a good way to treat some of your taxpayers. That's right. Exactly. To bring in a lot of revenue and one an of your employer. biggest taxpayers and an yeah. employer in your state. Yeah. Uh, okay. Right. <laughs> we take a look at. Donald Trump, what he does, current administration, we address the existential threats to America, and we also do features on things that are just very interesting and new and different and encouraging, and that's what we're going to do today. Lee Habib will join me. Lee's an American talk radio executive. He worked with Laura Ingram for years. He's a columnist for townhall.com, columnist for National Review. He's written columns for everybody. Uh, We're going to talk about his project, Our American Stories, and um, I am part of this. I am uh, advisor to, to the group. Those those of you who have listened to our radio show over the years will recognize the name Dr. Marty. If you haven't listened to the radio show, you don't know who it is, you're in for a treat. He is a plastic surgeon in Louisville, Kentucky. Right. Excellent by reputation mm-hmm. and outcome. And uh, he... Um he knows a lot and is, has some opinions. Yeah. Uh, we'll also get a Saturday Morning in America girls check-in with Shelly, right? Right. It's an old America in the morning type show today. Yeah. Claude, I don't know if you have the patience for it, but I got a lot to say this morning. Okay. Well, I'm going to say it in a reasonably short period of time, but I got a lot to talk about. You take your time. It's your show, Dr. Bennett. People want to hear what you have to say about it. Well, of course, things. top of my mind, I must say, I'm not crazy about the sport, but the World Series... It was amazing, right? Game seven. <laughs> right here in Washington. Did you watch it? <laughs> I watched every single Holy game. Holy <laughs> smokes. Yeah, it was crazy. It was nuts. And I swear in that seventh game, I thought, you know, do nothing at home. But my, I was watching with my son, and he said, you know, the Astros have had the lead in every game. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah. And then that score a lot late, and they've done that seventh, in every series. Seventh, yeah. eighth, and ninth. Mm-hmm. Can I just say something? I'm no baseball expert, but I've observed this. Why do you pull your ace? Why do you pull your ace because right. he gives up one or two home right. runs? Right, right. If Aaron Rodgers throws two interceptions in the first half, do you pull him? No, no. Just Tom Brady? You, the best chance you have to win is with them <laughs> having the ball in there. I mean, that Granky was pitching a great game. Oh, absolutely. And then you put in these subs, and they just got hammered, you know? Granky gives up one run, and I have no clue why the manager decided to pull him out. Did you react that way? Yeah, too? I was like, what are you do? I was happy. I'm like, well, thank sure. goodness he's gonna win. <laughs> No, he got rid of the ace. Right, well, exactly. Is that being que- – I haven't read the commentary. Is it, it is. It's one of the things being questioned. I'll bet. Mm-hmm. Stephen A. Smith or somebody. Yes, Screaming about this. <laughs> All right, we've covered World Series. What else is there to talk about? Oh, yeah, impeachment. You, you, people people can listen to what I say to Dr. Marty, but the process arguments are fine. The Republicans are right, but it's the substance that matters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, was there a quid pro quo? I don't think there was. But even if there was, I don't think you remove a guy from office because he told the president of uh, Ukraine after a bunch of other things, Hey, look at the corruption, looking to see if Biden's son and all this was corrupt. Uh, you don't because it's not big enough, frankly. Mm-hmm. You know, Nancy Pelosi gives a speech on the floor the day they voted to, to go ahead and conduct the inquiry about this as a threat to democracy. No, it isn't. The self-government. Give me a break. You know, Obama whispering to Medvedev, uh, you know, tell Vladimir Putin, you know, once they get reelected, I'll have more flexibility. Isn't that 
go easy on me, not helping him in the election. You know, let's not fight now and let me get reelected. Right. You know, same thing. Uh, Democrat senators writing the Ukraine saying, you know, we're looking at the aid, but we want to see if you're going to help us find out about the 2016 election first. You know, they were there, too. I just don't think it's big enough, but but we'll see. Uh, okay, I wanted to mention uh, two other things that uh, actually are in my area of expertise, quite apart from college football. All right. Education. Mm-hmm. Chicago teacher strike uh, is over, just ended. Uh, kids missed 11 days. They can't afford it. It's a terrible system. Right. But uh, but these teachers are uh, ridiculous. Um, reduce class size, reduce class size. Now, I know a lot of the audience is in favor of that. Most parents love smaller class size. It makes absolutely no difference to how much learning occurs. It's more a matter of the teacher than the mm-hmm. class size. There has been some reliable research suggesting that the smaller the class size, the less good students will do in math. Hmm. They'll do worse. You know why? Why is that? Because the smaller the class size, the more teachers you need. The more teachers you need, the more deeper you have to dip into the teacher pool. So you go from the A and B candidates to the C candidates. Okay. 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 Right. You know, if you've got 150 students and every class is 10, you need 15 teachers. Mm-hmm. Every class is 30, you only need five teachers. Right. So if you need 10 teachers over five, you're going to take some people maybe on the borderline. Mm-hmm. So class size, but they're they're insisting on it. And they got it. Um, the other thing people need to know, starting salary in Chicago, just out of school, 53000 Okay, Not too bad. Not too bad. Summer right. Mm-hmm. But the real money is the pension. Listen to this. You pay as a teacher a total of about $26,000 into your pension over your career. For that, when you retire, you get, are you ready? $76,000 a year. Oh, wow. Okay. As long as you're alive. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Jeez. We don't have that in our deals, yeah, do we? No, we no. No, I don't think so. So, um, you know, I got no sympathy there. Related to this, um, the strike is the test scores came out, the NAEP. The National Assessment of Educational Progress is the best single test we have. People have heard me on this before. It's called the NAEP. It's the nation's report card. It's a sample of students from all around the country. And um, over 10 years, indeed over 20 years, flat in math, no progress. Hmm. In reading, down. We're Hmm. reading worse than we were 20 years ago. Spending about 50% more real dollars and, and doing less well. So are there any bright spots? Well, the report points to two. One is worth noting. There were two districts or areas or states where there was progress. And it's interesting. The two are D.C. Nice. And Mississippi. Okay. What do they have in common? Not much. Uh Uh, Actually, the the one thing they obviously have in common is a large African-American population. Mm -hmm. Other than that, politically, ideologically, culturally, very, very different. Very different. But those two, uh, those two areas made progress. They're the only two in the country, Mississippi wow. and D.C., okay. which tells you what sustained effort, which is what they've tried to do in both places, um, means. Now, back to the racial thing, and I'm delicate here, it's sensitive, but they say also good news is the black-white achievement gap was closed. So mm-hmm. Black-white achievement gap is that traditionally white students score better than black students, and it's been a large gap. And the report says it closed this year. You know how it closed? How's that? White students dropped. That's not the way. That's not the way. That's you not the to way close, to equalize. Yeah. You know, that's not the way to equalize. The black students did not go up nationally. African American students, the white students did uh, go down. 
And here's the really bad news. The kids who are at the bottom of the ladder, bottom 10, 20% socioeconomically, disproportionately black and Hispanic, fell the worst. Mm. The kids for whom school matters the most suffered the most. Wow. The worst declines. Um, the top 10% did great. Top 10% didn't do well anyway because mm-hmm. they take every advantage of they can for their children. They homeschool like you mm-hmm. do, mm-hmm. Um, and you get extras, and you buy them books, and you talk to them, and you take them around, and you teach them. You guys are model parents, and you have grandparent help, too. Sure, right? absolutely, my mother, yeah. Or you send them to great schools, or you do some combination of both, like our, our friend, colleague, Chris Beach. Sure, right. Homeschooling mm-hmm. and then went to a good high school. They're going to succeed anyway. But for kids at the, at the bottom who maybe grow up in dysfunctional homes, maybe no dads, maybe, you know, moms who aren't, you know, got to work two shifts, whatever, school really matters a mm-hmm. lot. Mm-hmm. And for those kids, schools are not doing it. So that is a shame. Yeah. That is a real, real shame. You know, I know the importance of the impeachment discussion. I know we're worried about fires in California. And we're worried about other things. But in the long run, reading down, math, flat, mm-hmm. uh, it ain't that way in China. Right, right. Yeah, different yeah. different metrics in China. Mm-hmm. They're, they're doing, doing smarter all the time. I shouldn't say it that way. They're getting smarter. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like my grammar's off. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Show. All right, let's welcome Lee Habib to the show. Lee's a talk radio executive and producer. He's a columnist for townhall.com and National Review. Lee, uh, welcome to the show, and I want to talk to you about our American stories. You bet. Thanks for having me, Bill. Tell us uh, about Our American Stories, and I want the audience to know I'm affiliated with it. Uh, Lee asked me to join, help out, and I'm an advisor and friend, and um, this is a very interesting idea. And uh, Lee, tell, tell this audience about it, please. You know, Bill, I've been working with you, with all of the folks I care about in political talk radio, and a lot of this had to do with you and the talk you gave to the Florida 100 uh, five or six years ago. And you didn't know it at the time, but you had influenced me, and I've been thinking a lot of the similar thoughts. You had sort of gone off script, not that you ever were a script kind of guy, but you were talking about losing the narrative of the country, that we were losing this in the midst of these political fights. We had been forgetting to tell the story of America, who we were, who we are, and who we were to become. Because you can't know who you're going to be if you don't know who you are and who you were. And you were really digging into that and drilling down. And what, you know, your biggest success is a as a writer, as an editor, with Book of Virtues. And all that is, for the most part, is a book of stories that we can all walk into to see our own lives and shape our own character. And so in the end, I, I just, after that, it really kept gnawing at me. What would it sound like if we were to do a storytelling alternative to something like This American Life? What would our This American Life sound like? And I was off to the races from there, Bill. I, you know, once I get an idea, I, I, and it sticks with me more than a week or two, I call my dad and I say, you know, dad, this is still bugging me. And he'll finally just say, son, just go do it. And I went to Salem uh, to Ed Attinger, whom you know, he's the founder of Salem. And I told him about my thought. And he said, you don't have to leave Salem, son. Just go start that thing and report to me. It's fascinating what you're trying to do. And, you know, Bill, in the end, we're not going to win new people to the story of America and new voters to this thing called the Republican Party if we don't tell stories to the undecided. And so that was the goal here, um, to tell stories to people who don't know the story of George Washington or Henry Ford or Jackie Robinson, and the real story, too, Bill, the story behind the story that often the media leaves out. And that that was the uh, genesis 
our American story. Great. And and what is its progress? What have you done so far to date? Well, you know, it's interesting, though. We started with two affiliates in 2015, and we're up to 220. I've never had a show grow this fast wow. in my entire life organically. And I've done a lot of shows, as you know. I mean, Laura Ingram, whom you know, because her first job in life was with you. Uh, we started that show, and it took us two more years to grow to 200 than it did with this show. And I think it's because the program directors and the owners of these stations are relieved to hear a show that doesn't pit Republicans versus Democrats, black versus white, rich versus poor. Um, this is almost a respite from the noise, a respite from this never-ending debate and actually noise that's happening in our country. And the fundamental premise I've always had, Bill, is if you walk down the street, and I would ask everybody to do this, walk down your block and walk downtown somewhere and look at everybody carrying on so beautifully. At Ethiopian restaurants, you'll see an Italian and a German couple eating Ethiopian food. And they're not fighting, and they're not screaming and yelling. And there's something about the toxic nature of social media and the media itself that puts a light on the train wreck, that puts a light on the loudest and the person screaming the most. But for all of us who don't like that, we've checked out, and we're looking for some alternative, somebody to feed us what we want. And I, I essentially feel like the master chef of a program, and, and I'm trying to feed the hungry multitudes who want positive stories about a country they love that bring us together rather than separate us. Give us, uh, tell us a story or two, uh, your favorites. How many have you done so far? How many have been out? We've done almost, not, almost 900 hours of storytelling, Phil, today. Wow. And it's a real joy. Look, look, I just finished recording one today. We don't just do stories that we tell. We ask our listeners to tell a story. Well, a lady named Jeanette from Tampa wanted to tell the story of her Greek father, Angela. And this Greek father was born in 1917 and knew nothing but hard times. But he didn't know there were hard times because everybody was living through the Great Depression. And he actually, with almost joy, told the story of a 10 being in charge of roasting peanuts bagging them in 10-pound bags, going around the city selling them, and he got the leftover peanuts, which he could sell for five cents a bag, and that was his pay. And by the way, what he did with that pay was give it to his mother. Uh, And by the time World War II comes around, well, he joins the Army. The next thing you know, he's over in, in, in Europe, and he's not the guy on the front line, but he's the guy in the back lines offering logistics, minesweeps, food, anything the soldiers on the front lines need, and that's dangerous work, too. And so you're listening to this daughter telling the story of her Greek father, her Greek heritage, with pride telling these stories about a father whom she'd always thought was the stern sergeant with the kids, but was now realizing what he'd been doing, sharing his story with his own kids, which was when when I was young, she said, I didn't appreciate it. But as I got older, I really, and I had my own kids. I was so grateful that my dad had shared his story. So this reinforces the idea that story doesn't just matter as it relates to the country. We're trying to remind people they need to tell their own stories to their own kids, that they should know grandpa's story and great-grandpa's story and grandma's story because they're magnificent. And some of them are hard. She talked about Greek discrimination because Greeks and Italians and Irish, they know discrimination too. It's as you, you bet, know, Bill. You the Irish were so the Irish were so discriminated against in this country 
We did a story a month ago about the Blaine Amendment. And the Irish weren't allowed, the Irish Catholics, the Protestants wouldn't let them into their schools. Right. So the, the Irish Catholics, well, they built the school system as a rebuttal. Yeah, they so sure did. the triumph <laughs> over adversity is really the story, Bill. Triumph over adversity yeah. is really yeah. what we love to talk about. Tell me, uh, you know, you, you reminded me, by the way, you're underselling yourself the, the work you did with Laura Ingram. She credits you with uh, the major praise for, for growing that show. I mean, she's a talent, obviously, but uh, you knew her in law school, didn't you? Isn't that right, UVA? Is that correct? Yeah, we met at the University of Virginia Law School and political correctness through the law schools. Yeah. You know, Bill, the law schools are the sure. places where the worst and craziest legal theories sure, get sure, developed. sure. Sure. Any, and at UVA Law, we were seeing it. We were seeing. We were. We were watching Law Review. Law Review being turned into a spot where meritocracy didn't reign, and there was a push to make affirmative action be a part of Law Review. And that's how Law and I really came to know each other. We thought that tooth and nail that the best of the best who are going to work for the Supreme Court, and it's all blind grading in Law Review. You, you shouldn't be able to write a personal essay about your life's struggles in order to get on law review. Yeah. But that's what was being offered up in 1991, yeah, and we fought it. We took a lot of heat for it. But that's, yeah. how we, that's how Laura and I got close. Well, you did a great job, but this thing is phenomenal, Our American Stories. I, I, you gave us an example of one. So how does it work? First of all, listeners here, and uh, we're growing every day, not at the rate you are, but uh, tremendous uh, growth we're very pleased with. How do they listen? How do they tune in? How do they find out where they can hear these stories? Well, you can go to ouramericannetwork.org. That's ouramericannetwork.org. Or just type in Our American Stories. That's the name of the show, Our American Stories. And we'll come up on the Google page for four pages. And then, you know, go on the website, pick the stories you like, download them. Say Our American Stories to Alexa. We'll pop up. Um, get, get, on the, get on the affiliate map. And we're all over the country. And we may be in a market near you. And then listen to us in the car while you're driving around. But you can stream it on the computer, download the podcast, talk to Alexa, or good old-fashioned affiliates are carrying our show, and you can listen while you're driving around in your car. Now you're, you're so good at this, and you know this. Even, even a guy my age can figure it out. I was just thinking... 25, what was it, 25 years ago, if you had said as part of your litany, talk to Alexa, people would say, what? Who the, who the heck is that? <laughs> anyway, life, life moves on. Uh, but you're on a lot of the big, uh, as we call them, terrestrial radio stations, still, still a fixture in our society, right? You bet. And uh, my favorite one to be on is WHO in Des Moines. By the way, I tried to get Laura on that station and all of the Salem people, but they only take local local content. Uh-huh. It, 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 Paul Harvey started there. Ronald Reagan started there. It's the heart of American storytelling. We're on two hours a night, and Bill, we've just popped ten shares there, which um, which is not, as you know, in radio, it's hard to get a ten share. Yeah. Um, and and it's not our work. I've got to tell you, in the end, it, it's the stories that are doing the work, as you well know. Get out of the way. When there's a story to be told, get out of the way and let the person tell it. So we don't tell the story. With Jeanette, we put a microphone up on her. We recorded her for about four hours. We went it down to about 35 minutes. And all you hear is Jeanette's voice. Here, you can hear her practically crying, other times laughing, all in honor and memory of her beloved dad. And once that happens, 
we get another hundred people writing us to tell their stories about their mothers and fathers. Yeah. And by, by goodness, Phil, if we can get to the point where we create this idea that the heart of the American life and experiment depends on the central unit that matters most, and that's a mother and a father. And for so long, the culture has seemed to say, oh, marriage, oh, mothers and fathers, how silly. It's a ball and a chain. You're not free. You're not going to have your freedom. And we all know when we've done this, that that family, those kids, that's your life. And it's a good life. And it's a beautiful life. So we really love celebrating family and mothers and fathers and kids. And not with fairy daisies and rainbows. Always the struggles are there. But love is a central part of our show. And without fathers and mothers, how will children ever know love? Yeah, what did you say? What in rainbows? What was the first word? It's sort of fairy dust and rainbows. Oh, and, and rainbows, you know, we tend yeah. to have a habit of doing like Hallmark stories sure. we conservative. Oh, no, no, no. We, I, yeah, I remember, I remember my friend Midge Dector said, uh, wrote an essay when she said, family is solid. It's not a, it's not a pillow. It's a rock. You know, it's it's what you hold on to. It's not something soft and cushy. Not around here. I'll tell you, the four of us, my best friend says you're like four double positive charged pin, uh, billiard balls bouncing around a table. Four very strong personalities. And Mrs. Bennett prevails over the three guys. But, uh, you, know, I, you know, there's there's conflict. There's argument. Um funny story, Mrs. Bennett went to a, a, a meeting and someone said, it must be so wonderful to be married to the author of the Book of Virtues, just a virtuous man all the time. You know, she rolled her eyes and kept silent, you know. <laughs> we all know about marriage, and it is more like a rock, right? Something to hold on to. It's a place to go where you tell the truth. It is, and it's, and it's a place where the people love you despite your flaws. Yeah. They love you knowing everything that's wrong with yeah. you, your sins, your unvirtuous nature. Yeah. Um, and they make us better. In the end, it makes us better people, Bill. Yeah, of course it does. Of course, this is such an exciting thing. And I want to say again, I'm so proud and, and happy to be affiliated with it. I, it, it it's, a great, it's a great idea. What is it uh, about the nature of the story that um, compels us. You know, you were saying it's not political, it's not a political show. But I noticed in, I don't know if you noticed this too, you probably did, in the Democrat debates, um, they try to do this because the, the answers that are coming out are so formulaic and they're so dry and abstract. And so, you know, I noticed Kamala Harris, when she was talking to Joe Biden, tried to tell a story. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, well, I was that yeah. little girl in Oakland. So to create a picture, and, and for a moment, you know, and I'm no fan, um, it caught my attention because, again, it had that narrative. Oh, once upon a time, there was a little girl. Now I want to hear it. Now I want to hear it rather yep. than a chart and a graph, you know? And and let me just say one other thing because uh, there's this debate about whether Ronald Reagan slept through cabinet meetings and people vociferously defend him and say, no, I was there. The answer is yes, he did, but usually it was much deserved. A guy would come in, and a cabinet member, and, and put up charts and graphs, and the president would nod, nod off. Then – Someone would come in and tell a story. I remember I was one of them, and the president was nodding off. And he said, let me tell you about Jaime Escalani, this great math teacher in uh, California who, uh, you know, took this uh, 
uh, uh, high school in the barrio and, and made it number two in the country in, uh, in advanced placement in math. And I said, he's an immigrant, and he came to the school, and Reagan's eyes opened wide. He perked up, ended up inviting him to the White House and so on. But that, that was, by the way, a gift of Ronald Reagan to be able to tell a story to illustrate his point with the story. But there's something, I, I don't want to get too political here, but I'm being even-handed, Kamala Harris and Ronald Reagan. But there is something about this once upon a time that captures us in a way that the abstract, the formulaic, the, the, the uh, what do they call it in the business presentation, uh, the, the deck uh, may not do. Well, you know, Bill, you know, since the Bible and even before, um, Stories are how we've shaped civilization and gotten to know ourselves and the society around us. Facts and data, maybe 5% of Americans organize around facts and data. I don't even believe people buy a car based on facts and data. It's a story, it's an emotional decision, and it, it makes them feel like the person they think they are in their own narrative. And you know, I think about the Bible, and look, it's stories that, have, that people can step into. And they've been stepping into the story of Cain and Abel, the prodigal son, Adam and Eve, forever. And my story in the Bible that I've always related to is Jonah. I was always running from God, and God was always running towards me with love, saying, come on back, son. Come on back, son. And then sometimes not with love. Sometimes sort of crushing me a little bit. But those stories have eternal values. They have eternal properties. And they also do something, I think, that a friend of mine at UCLA Film of School once explained to me, the elements of a great story. It goes beyond Aristotle. He said, you know, a good story should be like life itself. The beginning should be really short. The middle should be really long with lots of ups and downs and arcs. And then hopefully the end is really short too. And I think that's our lives. We don't remember much about the very beginning. But boy, from about 16, 15, 14, on to about 60, that's the arc of our life where we make choices, where we're disappointed, where we're surprised, where life hits us with tragedy and also with great hope and great love. And and so stories allow us to meet and mingle. Look, if I start to have a debate about something, I'm not going to convert the person next to me. But if I start with, I want to share my story, no one's going to say, stop, I disagree. Who's going to disagree with my story? It's impossible and it's rude. It's rude. Well, this is a great thing. This is a great insight. This is a great idea. Tell us once more, uh, the audience, how to, how to listen to these American stories. Sure. You go to Our American Stories, just type that in on a Google search bar, and you'll find us. Or if you want the actual web address, it's ouramericannetwork.org. Um, and from there, you'll see each of the stories up there. We Every story we've ever done is up there in sequence. By the way, you'll love the Jackie Robinson story. Um, we just finished it. It went up. And it was about Jackie Robinson and Branch Rickey's prayer life and their God life. Because I had always wondered, Bill, why did Branch Rickey do it? Why would the guy managing one of the most important clubs in America, the Brooklyn Dodgers? By the way, plenty of racism in New York and Boston at the time, right? And none of the owners would think, and none of the owners would think that this is a good idea. He did it because he was a, he was a Christian, because his pastor had wanted it because he knew God commanded it. And when he went to choose a ball player, he wanted to make sure that that ball player had a Christian walk too. And in the movie Jackie Rob- of Jackie Robinson's life, 41, with Harrison Ford, his faith walk is not there. 
the, the fake walk of Branch Rickey is why that happened. And Jackie Robinson's fake walk is why he was chosen. And we love being able to tell the rest of the story of Reverend Martin Luther King, not just Dr. King, but Reverend yes. King, yes. and the importance of faith in, 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 in the life of this country, which has been largely ignored even by conservatives. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, I love a line from George Eliot. She says, excellence is important because it encourages, encourages us about life generally. Our American stories encourages us about life generally. And uh, so does Lee Habib and uh, his act of uh, creativity and genius here. Thank you, Lee. Thank you very much. And thank you, Bill. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Stay current on the threat posed by China with our friends at Committee on the Present Danger China. Go to presentdangerchina.org, presentdangerchina.org. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Not a real doctor, okay, Bill great. Bennett here. A real doctor I'm talking to. Dr. Marty, how the heck are you? I'm great. I'm great. Everything is just the same as it always was. <laughs> and how is the lovely Ruth? She's great. <clears throat> Wonderful. She is. I am lucky to have her. You know, she sends her best to Elaine and the family. Okay. Don't forget to use the Elaine uh, Thanksgiving rules. You know, no wine bottles on the floor. Oh, yeah. Do not use yeah. the fork to punctuate I, your points. Right. <laughs> I remember something about wine at your, you know, under the table. There yeah, that was me. Seat. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> but the most important one is not to use the uh, cutlery to punctuate your political arguments. Yeah. <laughs> Piece well, of turkey on the end of the you, fork, you know, pound it in the air, you know. <laughs> right. At least, at least you allow political arguments. Oh, absolutely. There's not much disagreement yeah. in our family, and we usually remove people yeah. who disagree. So what's up? I haven't heard from you. I've been flying blind. I've been doing my podcast. I've been doing TV without your guidance. Oh, you don't need my guidance. I've been listening to a lot of it, and I thought it was great. It made me miss the old show. What do you, you think? But what, what, what's on your mind? Impeachment? What? What? What's on your mind? Give us your insight. It's always good and original. Thank you. Well, look, we had this vote yesterday, this sham rogue impeachment. It's uh, impeachment without a crime. Uh, and we know... They wanted to impeach President Trump from day one. And I, I think they got the memo. I think the Democrats, Pelosi, they got the memo that running on free health care for illegals, we're coming to take your guns, we're going to raise your taxes, and uh, infanticide is not a winning platform. So I think what they really want to do is run on impeachment. And I think, you know, what they did yesterday, I, you know, people who are not immersed in this, like we are, think they had an impeachment vote, yes. but they really didn't do yes. much of anything except ratify these no-due-process rules. Yes, is all they really did. Yes. And it was bipartisan. It was bipartisan. Two Democrats voted against it. It was bipartisan against it. Well, fair enough. It. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. 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 All right. So here's my view, which is, yes, the process is ridiculous, extremely partisan, obviously, you know, fulfilling what Hamilton said in six Federal 65, don't do it on a party basis. It's exactly what it is from the Democrat side. But I've been saying, you know, forget the process arguments in the end. Forget even the quid pro quo arguments in the end. Just look at the substance of it. You're going to remove a president? Nancy Pelosi said it was a threat to democracy because he talks to the president of Ukraine and says, you know, you got to look into this corruption and, and also take a look at Biden and Biden's son. I mean, are we serious here? You remove a president for that? 
Listen, I don't think I, I heard her yesterday on the floor, and it's it's pathetic to listen to the party that has nothing but contempt for the Constitution use the Constitution to try to take down the president. It's almost comical when she you know, speaks about the Constitution. But um, I don't think they're going to take him down. Now, I don't think they're going to remove him. I don't think they even care about removing him. They just want to impeach him. We, we know they have the vote, and they, they will impeach him, and they want to run on that against the impeached president. Yeah. Give him the scarlet letter. Yeah. Um, it's much better than running on free health care for illegals. So yeah. I, yeah. I think they will, they will impeach him. And they will run on it. And I, and I think they're going to prolong this process because they don't really want to give it to the Senate. Once they give it to the Senate, yeah. it's over for them. Right, right, right. And and they really do want to run away from their issues. I mean, I don't know if you saw the news this morning. You see the price tag on Elizabeth Warren's Medicare for All. You're a doc. You know right. about Medicare. I mean, $52 trillion. You right, know, I mean, and and it'll and it'll destroy whatever's left of medicine. You know, you know what is so glaring about this Medicare for all is they they passed Obamacare that was going to fix everything. Yeah. That was going to fix all the problems. Yeah, and what they're railing against is Obamacare. All the things they're complaining about are a result of their Obamacare. Yeah, and uh, and not a lot of people point that out. So, you know, yeah, that's a big loser. I think they know it's a big loser. How did this, uh, I mean, I remember Hillary Clinton, and she was a bad candidate, but she wasn't a candidate of the far left. I mean, this 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 group, almost without exception, and now Biden is, has joined the ranks. The litany you just recited, I mean, you know, unlimited benefits for illegals, uh, you know, take guns away, infanticide, uh, Medicare for all. I mean, this is... Left-wing stuff. Seriously, left-wing, left-cliff yeah, well, stuff. It's as far left as you get. And you have the squad. I think there are a lot of Democrats, people like me who have been observing this for a very long time, believe that a lot of them believe in those things, but they always try to conceal it. They always try to conceal it and do things incrementally. And what's different now is it's out in your face. There's, not, there's no concealing it. And I think you have a critical mass of indoctrinated children in college, uh, you know, who have matured to the point where I think they have an audience for this. You have people that want socialism. They think socialism is great. And I think some of this might be a test to see, you know, exactly how much support there is for this Yeah, well, in an election. It's certainly not alienating their base. I mean, the base is responding no, I to think, it very positively. But the base, the what I call the deranged base, and it's deranged because what they want is destructive. They, it's not even an American party. It's an anti-American party. It's anti-constitutional. It's anti-free market. It's anti-liberty. They want to shut down speech. Uh, it's an anti-American party. We used to say... Well, we all want the same thing, but we just have different yes, ways of yes, getting there. Yes. No, we don't want the same thing, but we don't want the same thing. <laughs> you know, one of us wants America as founded, and, and one of us doesn't. Yeah, and what about the cultural stuff? I mean, I, I, I Joaquin Castro said to applause, free abortions for transsexual, let me get this right. 
men. Yeah. Or no. Which which way does it go? Which way does it go? And free menstrual supplies for men. Um, look, you know, the a lot of this goes back to cultural Marxism. The, the left realized that the economic arguments against capitalism were not going to be successful because people were doing pretty well. So they developed this idea of cultural Marxism. You have to make people believe that the, there's something wrong with their culture, that there's a problem with their culture, so you can... Uh, they will allow you to change it. So they will allow you to transform America. So, uh, you know, we're all racist, racist white supremacists. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and they have to destroy the traditional gender roles. They have to destroy the family. You know, the pillar of Western civilization must be destroyed. So a lot of this is about attacking the fundamental uh, traditions uh, that support yeah. Yeah. Western civilization and, and, and this whole emphasis on gender, you know, you got 1% of the population might be transgender, you know, getting 99% of the attention. Uh, you got to use the correct pronoun, you know. <laughs> oh, I know. So, I know. I know. A, a dear friend, doctor, a friend of mine, uh, here, uh, very conservative, you know, quietly conservative in this practice here in Montgomery County. But uh, mm-hmm. conser- conservative all the same, took his daughter down to college. And he was, I said, how'd it go? He said, fine, it's a nice campus. And they, the room is okay. And we signed the you know, registration, paid the tuition, picked our pronouns. And I said, what? So we picked our pronouns. Right. What? <laughs> what? So right. I mean, I mean, how did this happen? Hard. This is a fundamental attack on civilization. Chekhov says, you know, he, she is the machine that makes fiction work. Well, he, she is not only the heart and soul of our literature, most of our great literature, but uh, civilization, isn't it? I mean, the distinction, you're a doc, you operate on people. There's a difference, isn't there? There's a little bit of a difference. Yeah, look, this is the agenda to destroy these roles. Listen, I have transgender patients. Um. And I, I evaluate them like any other patient. They have to be appropriate. Um, I had one patient who got angry at my staff because they didn't use the correct pronoun. Well, well, this person doesn't even look uh, obviously male or female, and it was innocent. And I took that person aside, patient, and I said, look, nobody knows who you are. Nobody knows anything about you. If you're going to behave that way, I cannot take care of you. You're going to have to find another doctor. You cannot behave that way to my staff. Uh, now, that happens in my office. That does not happen with the Marxist professors, yeah. you know, who enable all this stuff. That's where a lot of this is coming from in the first place. Did he, she stay or not? Oh, yeah. The, the patient straightened up, and it turned out to be a good patient. Good. Excellent. But, Excellent. Yeah, yeah. What do you do... Um, about you know this sort of, this sort of quiet business and uh, public business. This this doc I was telling you about is a, a, a lovely guy, and he uh, was telling me that right after the election, uh, he kind of reminded me of you. He said, you know, here I am. I sit here. I'm a doctor. I you know I wear black turtlenecks. I have a beard. I'm Jewish. Everybody assumes I'm liberal. So my patients come in and they say uh, I had palpitations after the election. My, my heart just wasn't yeah. working. And, doctor, you you must understand. 
I know you appreciate it. Yeah. I said, do you tell them? He says, no, I don't tell them. No, I'm, I'm not there to tell them. But, um, you know, I'm curious. You're in, you know, you're a, you're a very smart guy. You live in a great neighborhood. You mingle with people, a lot of whom I assume are not uh, of your political view. Do you tell them your views? Oh, I'm very open. Listen, I'm very open about it. I would be shocked with a different answer. I would be shocked with a different answer. Yeah, I know. Listen, I used to do afternoon drive time here yeah, following Rush's show. So, you know, a lot of people here know me. Know who you are. Begin yeah. way, 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 be, way before this. Yeah. But I'm very open. I'm very um, to the point where I get the usual death threats, too. And <laughs> we got the FBI checking out some people. Oh, no. Uh no, no, really. You know, if you look at my Twitter account, it's very. Uh, we have patients complaining about my Twitter account. I tell them to find another doctor if they don't like it. I mean, yeah. they'll go vet every doctor's political views before you see them. So uh, I know I just tell them openly, and uh, to the point where a lot of people avoid me because they know what yeah. I'm going to tell them if they br- if they bring it up. Uh, but sure, listen, m- most of the people I uh, I I'm in contact with are not conservative, yeah. are, um, you know, are crying because Hillary uh, lost. And they know they know ahead of time what my position is. Oh, sure, I'll tell them. Yeah, good, good. And, and I, think, I think one of the problems is that um, when people are being attacked from wearing MAGA hats uh, and they're worried about their job at work, they're very silent. And they're also not telling the pollsters that they support Trump. So a lot of these polls right. are really, really underestimate, you know, the Trump voters. So speaking of the MAGA hats, those kids at the Catholic high school were from Kentucky, weren't they? All right, the Covington, Covington boys. Covington yeah, is um, Cincinnati, uh, across the river from Cincinnati. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, but it's not far from here. In fact, we were just there uh, about a week ago. Uh, yeah, but they had their case reinstated. I, I saw that. I saw Lynn that. Wood is a great lawyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Can yeah. you? Um, and they, yeah. Before we before we go, could you give us just a little expert uh, opinion on Medicare for all, not just the cost, but what what it would mean? It would mean uh, you're not going to find a doctor, and doctors will not want to become doctors. Uh, they can't afford to stay in business. It means long waits. It means uh, a lot of um, rationing. There's no such thing. Medicare, as it stands right now, is going bankrupt. The the trustees have told us that it's going bankrupt within five to ten years. Uh, And these are people that paid into it. People have paid into Medicare. Right. Uh, Right. So there's no – the only reason Medicare survived is because – we have something we call an insurance mix. Insurance company A pays much more, and this company pays more. Therefore, the doctor can afford to take care of the Medicare patient that pays much less. Once everybody pays Medicare fees, you can't sustain it. There's right. not enough money in the system. You can't pay your bills. You can't buy a paper clip. So it means uh, look at the British system. That's what you'll have. Do your Democrat yeah. doctor friends know this? What do they say? Yeah, they, you know what? They know that. They know that. And a lot of them even right now 
have retired or gone, gone become employees for the hospital because they couldn't make it under the Obamacare yeah. rules okay. either. Okay. Yeah, that, that's something they know. Let me ask you uh, finally, because I do want to get your judgment on this. A lot of people crossing the TV screens these days. Uh, you have a great eye. Who do you see that's talent? Uh, I'm not talking about you know presidential candidates for the future, though maybe the Senate, uh, the House, uh, people who speak out. Who who impresses you? The governor of Florida is huh. presidential material, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, I think he's great. Um, you remember how often he was guest. on our show. You remember how often. Yeah, that's he was, right. Yeah. He, he was a great guest on your show, but yeah. he, you know, he, I think he's excellent. I think uh, Matt Bevin, our governor, uh-huh. um, I just introduced him. I was at EMC for our Kentucky Doctors for Life meeting, and we had Matt as a guest. I think he has a lot of potential, uh, you know, for national yeah. office. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, um, Anybody in the house that you know, you're, I'm trying to think. you're here talking about? I, I like, let me tell you who I like. I really like this John Ratcliffe from Texas. I think he's a very sharp guy. Uh, I like, yeah. um, I, I really like Mark Meadows. I think he's a very smart and aggressive guy from North Carolina. In the Senate, I'm, I'm actually pretty impressed with this uh, Josh Hawley. And, of course, Tom Cotton remains a big, uh, big favorite of mine. Yeah, I was going to mention Tom Cotton. You know, Ratliff resigned from that position. Trump yeah. appointed him yeah. too. Yeah, um, yeah, um, yeah. I like Mark Meadows, and I like um, Jim Jordan. Yeah, he's an aggressive he's, uh, guy. You know, yeah. He's a real fighter. Yeah. He, he was a boxer, and he's a he's a real fighter. He's a, and, he's a wrestling coach he after I mean, he boxed, I think. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. You know, you you only have these handful of Republicans that are really aggressively defending President Trump. And imagine if we had a party that would do that. Uh, you know, because I'm not so sure we don't have a lot of Republicans in the closet who wouldn't mind removing President Trump if they ever did get to the Senate. I agree with including, you. Including Pierre Delecto. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Did you see yeah. him in the clown face too? What the heck? What is going on? I mean, I know you're not a psychiatrist, but what the heck is going on there? Well, I was going to be a psychiatrist. What's going on is, look, I have a Twitter account. I say whatever I want on my Twitter account. There's no reason why he couldn't do the same on his actual Twitter account. Yeah. There's no reason. Why why can't you do it on your own Twitter account? So, you know, as a psychiatrist, it's somebody who doesn't want to own his opinions. Yeah. It's someone who may look in, look testing uh, opinions to look for approval. Uh, you know, my my attitude is the opposite. You know, and I'm sure yours is too. This is what I think. Yeah, uh, I'm willing to discuss it. You might disagree. That's fine. But this, you know, the the great revelation I had at one point in my life when I was much younger was to stop seeking everyone's approval. Exactly. You know, exactly. Once once I didn't care, you know, you're a teenager and you, you got to have, everyone's got to have those shoes and these clothes and, right. and you need the approval of everyone. You know, once I got to a point where, of course, you have to have some people's approval to function, but when you obsess with getting everyone's approval, you can't be yourself. You can't express yourself. You can't develop yourself. So uh, to me, you know, that kind of behavior from Pierre Delecto is someone who's still overly fixated on other people's approval. 
Well, my wife saw that and said, Pierre Delecto. She said, I don't even want to think about that. So, uh, if, you know, if you ever did, I said, I don't. I am who I am. You know, I, you know, the great thing about you, what I aspire to, Conor Cruz O'Brien wrote about Edmund Burke, the gift of always being himself. And that's that's you. You're always no, talking to Marty. Well, well, thank you. And, you know, Bill, I really appreciate you. And, and I, you have those qualities. And I, I miss your show because uh, in the sea of, of information out there, your show was intelligent, reasonable. Uh, it was a really great show. I, I, I still speak to some of the listeners who missed yeah, the show. I know, I know, I know, I know. You were, you were I think, invited to a couple of the Saturday morning meetings. The girls invited you to, as the speaker. It was great. We're going to yeah. talk to one right now. Shelly's Shelly's going to come and call us. Thank you, Dr. Marty. Hey, thank you, Bill. Thank you. All right. Love to Ruth. Thank you, sir, and the grandchildren. Bye-bye. Shelly, Bill Bennett. Hello. How are you, Dr. B? How are you? I'm filing in my study. I'm not happy. Where are you? Where are you? First of all, let's place you geographically. Uh, Texas. I've, I've heard of it. <laughs> I live there. I where Where are you? Texas. San Antonio, Houston? No, no. We're, I'm I, no. I'm just outside of Dallas in Frisco. Okay, Frisco. Sure. No, I, I know it well. What are you unhappy about? Yes. <laughs> oh, Doctor Bill, how much time do you have? <laughs> um, uh, we have some time. Let's hear. Let's hear it from the top. <laughs> Visceral. Let's hear it viscerally. Oh gosh, um, politics. I just can't believe it. I just, I just don't understand how we can be where we are right now. It's just uh, help me out here. <laughs> well, uh, I, you know, we just talked to a guy you may remember. His name is Doctor Marty. Oh yes, 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 yes. In fact, uh, I, I do all this. He tweets a lot, so I follow his tweeting. Yeah, yeah. He said, uh, said simple. The Democrats. No, they can't run on these far left, uh, this far left set of issues they're on. I mean, unlimited benefits for immigrants, uh, free abortions for transgender males or females, however it works. I can't remember. Um, you know, uh, uh, buy, buy back guns or seize back guns, infanticide, et cetera. Uh, so they're running on impeachment. They want to put scarlet letter on the president president has you know mixed popularity ratings a lot of people like him like his policies they don't like the style they don't like the you know sure. the personal approach here but uh that's what they're hope that's their that's their best bet so i think that's what's going on but boy are they you know i as as a strong supporter of the president i'm telling you, we got to nail them with their with their policies because they're crazy have you heard the latest on Elizabeth Warren? Fifty-two trillion. I did, I did, and I, did I hear correctly that how much? Uh, Claude's going to look it up. Maybe Shelley knows off the top of her head because Shelley knows a lot more than we do, Claude. How much yeah, we right. how much we collect in tax revenue every year? It's a couple of trillion, isn't it? I th I think it's single digits. Yeah, I think it's like three or oh, four okay. trillion. I thought I saw we had a four trillion economy. Yeah, four trillion. Yeah, I don't yeah, know how Or as our last guest said, just ask Alexa. You got Alexa handy? <laughs> okay. Um, in, the, in, the other, in the other room. <laughs> in the other room. In the other room. Well, yeah, I, look, uh, they're going to go through this exercise. Uh, tell me if you think I'm wrong. They're going to impeach him, uh, and uh, the Senate will not convict him. Go ahead, Claude. What do you got? Oh, yeah, so on our latest uh, tax uh, update, uh, $3.9 trillion. Yeah, $4, four trillion. Okay. Exactly right. I told you Shelly would know. Yeah. She knew. I don't know. No, no, I, I didn't. I didn't know the economy meant the tax of it. Four trillion <laughs> is what we take in, and this bill is fifty-two trillion, and it's not like the other bills disappear. 
I mean, my gosh, that's no, no, no. totally impossible. Well, I'm, I'm holding my, I'm holding my powder. I don't do Facebook very much anymore because I can't take it. But um, if she if she be on the ticket, I'm just going to say to my lefty friends, are you prepared to just hand over all of your money? Because no. that's you'll have nothing left. She wants it all. She won't be happy until she gets it all. Yeah. Do you have friends who are uh, not the lefty friends, but moderates? Do you have people in the middle? Yeah, I think I do. They're, they're probably just not very engaged, so it just kind of washes over them. That don't, makes kind of sense. Don't you think um, there are a lot of secret Trump supporters who won't admit it publicly? Oh, I, sh- I hope so. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, and I guess, yeah, and I, and I guess you're right because. They like to be in our face, and we don't put bumper stickers on our cars, and we don't, um, you know, we just don't. As, as poor Penn in, in, in Chicago now says, she can't even wear her, her MAGA hat because, you know, she she have it ripped off her head, but they're the tolerant left. <laughs> Apparently, you can wear a MAGA hat if you're black and you're out at 4 in the morning when it's 20 below zero, because that's how uh, Jesse, Jesse Smollett, Smollett was attacked, yeah. Two, yeah, two black yeah, guys well. and two black guys in MAGA hats walking the winter streets of Chicago. Yeah. yeah. Uh, tell yeah. me about Saturday morning in America, girls. You better just start from the top because not all of this audience is morning in America. So explain what oh. SMIA is or SMIA. Yeah, I, I, I never, I never used that term. I was called SMIA, but yeah, whatever it's SMIA, called. Okay. Uh, well, you know, we. we, we it started in it started in Philadelphia. That's the the two Jennies, I think it was, wasn't it? Jennifer uh-huh. and uh-huh. Uh, two Jennifers. And it kind of well, we all kind of jumped on the bandwagon, sort of connecting locally with each other. So the Texas team here in Dallas, there's probably six or eight of us that see each other, you know, on a re- very regular basis. Um, and then we kind of keep up on little, you know, Facebook if we go there or messages, just chats. And uh, Cheryl and Dindy from Philadelphia still uh, keep in touch, and they're I think they're going to CPAC again. I think I think we should all make a trip to CPAC next year yeah. and uh, and meet up. Have a reunion. Uh, yeah, so maybe I'll maybe I can yeah, maybe I'll show this time. There you go. It's your turn. <laughs> I know. I know. And, uh, I know. So anyway, and Cheryl's son. Uh, the way this came about just recently. Uh, Cheryl's son is one of the Blue Angels. He's a lieutenant commander. Oh, great! And they're doing their they're doing their annual, I guess it's an annual around the country displays. And they came to Dallas, so she let us all know that she could get us into the friends and family tent and and uh, you know see the show on the the it was the pre it was the uh, Alliance Air Show, and we all got in on the Friday, which was kind of the the, the pre weekend day. And so we did that, met her husband, yeah, met her husband, her son, her cousin was also in from Pennsylvania, and there were four of the SMIA ladies that, uh, well, three of us from Dallas, from, from Texas showed up. And uh, so we had a really good day out, and uh, luckily the weather held for us. <laughs> we'll have a reunion, yeah. and uh, I'll bring my wife, because she she was, you know, incredulous, I don't know if you remember this. Mrs. Bennett was incredulous about talk the, about me. No, that there was a Saturday morning in America <laughs> club of, of women. She said a group of women gather to talk about you and your show. I said, yes, yeah. I don't believe it. I said, well, why, why shouldn't they, dear? So when we were in Minnesota for the Democrat convention, the Minnesota girls put on a breakfast and we came and there were like uh-huh. 25 ladies there. Mrs. Bennett said, oh, I believe it now," she said. "But they don't know about you what I know about you. 
Well, yeah, that's true. That's, yeah. yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that's, that's life. All, that's, true, that's true of all of you, isn't it? Yeah. That's, yeah. Well, what do you mean all of us? What about all of you? <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, my yeah. husband, my, um, do, do you know those things in the paper they have every day? You know, the Love Is little column, it's the two little drawings. They, they've been around, like, I think since the 70s. Yeah, sure. And uh, anyway, I, I did one. My husband always calls me the boss. Yeah, sure. And I don't know if it's... I don't know if I like it or not, but anyway, there was one about Tweaks Goat said, "When she's the boss, and you love it." That's right. So he's taped it up on his he's taped it up on his lamp here in his study in front of his computer. Yeah, so he now, doesn't forget. She's the boss is good. I say something for short that's shorter. She who must be obeyed. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. That's true. yeah. yeah, that's true. We got a wedding. Well, we got a wedding. Finally, older oh, older oh son. God. Older oh, son. Oh, the heat. So you passed the Thanksgiving test last year? Uh, y- yes. Or the Christmas test? Yes. 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 <laughs> All right. Listen, we got to go. It is great to talk to you. Great to hear your voice again. Say hi to the ladies, to the girls, will you? Well, we will. We will. And uh, you know, Penny was here in the summer for Penny. a day and saw her. Penny Alfonso. Yeah, and then, uh, yeah, we'll probably do something again somewhere. We'll keep you and, you and Claude in the loop. Tell yeah. Claude he needs to come to Texas. Yeah, I Claude know. Claude needs to come to Frisco because okay. they're, building the, they're building the PGA here, too, so it's got golf and football. If Claude does, signs up for any more things, I'm going to break his legs. He is, the, <laughs> he is harder to get than the president. I, I don't talk to the president that much, but I talk to him about once a month. I call him at Monday at 11 o'clock. I hear back from him at 3. I call Claude Monday at 11. I hear back Wednesday, 6 p.m. I mean, Monday. Well, next time, you talk to the, next time you talk to the press, tell him we're out here rooting for him, and we're not going anywhere. Okay. Do you see he's moving from New York? Do you see that? He's giving up. His, he's moving from New York. He's his state of residence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, Florida needs some more Republicans because all the Dems are moving down there, so they need to try yeah, and keep yeah, the red. No, right? That's a good idea. That's a good, excellent idea. Because it's got the same problem here in Texas. All the loony Californians are moving in. With yeah, are we is Texas safe? We're not. We're not going blue, are we? God, I hope not. Okay, all right, <laughs> Shelley. Great to talk to you, yeah. dear. All right, you too. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Show. All right, that does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to BillBennettShow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett and like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. That's BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your Thanksgiving plans. That's coming up soon. Yeah, and we'll we'll read Mrs. Bennett's rules. Table manners, yes. Table manners, we'll do that. Very popular. And please share this podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week. 